Anybody ever ask you this time of year, so are you all ready for Christmas? I feel like every time I get asked that, um, I really don't know what's actually behind the whole question. I don't know where your brain goes. My mind instantly goes to, um, did we send out our Christmas cards? Did I put the lights up on our house? Have I completed all my Christmas shopping? All the to-do stuff. But what if I were to ask you, so are you all ready for the Christ event? You all ready for the second coming? As we've been going into this series all semester on Deeper Still, I want to go all the way back to the beginning again. And just by way of reminder, when we were brainstorming and praying this past summer about what it is that we wanted to talk about in chapel this year, we thought that, man, it would be great to talk all semester long about the Holy Spirit. I think probably one of the most often misunderstood um, persons within the Trinity, but also the one who holds the ability and has the desire to pour out the gifts of heaven on God's people so that we can live differently and more empowered in this world. And our hope right now is that we're cultivating a desire inside of you, even as this series wraps up, that you still want to go deeper still with the Lord. I think at the end of the day, the ultimate sign of spiritual maturity is just simply hunger. Because whatever you taste anything of the Lord and you experience its goodness, you just simply want more. So our hope is that some way, maybe that's been cultivated within you, that you have deeper longings and you hear those groanings in the lyrics of the songs, even that we were singing this morning, for more of God to come in and break into this place. And I have to be honest, I'm always concerned when Christians... Um, when I hear us talking about the things that we want to do in life, or if we were to talk about the second coming of Jesus, that there would be some sort of hesitancy within us, like, oh no, but I didn't get to do this yet. Sam talked about this a little bit last week in chapel too, right? There's this, at times a hesitancy within us. But I think that should tell us something about where we are, because chances are, our greatest treasures are probably not placed in the right places when that's our gut response when we talk about the second coming of Jesus. I bring all this up because as we close, what I want to do today is look at how the Spirit gets spoken about in the book of Revelation. And I want to extrapolate some themes and some motifs out of that. But Because just in the same way that the Holy Spirit is working through the prophets and others in the Old Testament to prepare the people of the world, and in particular the people of God, for the coming of Jesus... So too the Spirit is working now within us, in this room, in this moment, in our relationships, in our hearts, to prepare us for the second coming. So when we talk about Advent today, yes, it's fun looking back. Yes, Christmas is often nostalgic. But for the follower of Jesus, this is also a realization that that was just the down payment. That was the promise. The first coming. And really we live in the final chapter now awaiting the second coming. And so too the Spirit is at work now calling and bringing more and more people into the community of faith, into the family of God, and extending the reaches of God's love to the ends of the earth and, and, and pouring out the gifts of heaven onto his people in order for us to provide glimpses to the rest of the world of what that looks like. Are you ready for the Christ event? Are you hungry for it? 
Do you understand what it would all mean? Spend a little bit of time in that today. So turning already to the book of Revelation, if we can go to the first slide. This is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The book of Revelation starts off the apocalypse of Jesus. That's the actual word in Greek. The revelation of Jesus. So when we title this book Revelation, we're actually using a translation of the Greek word apocalypse. But when we use that word today in modern culture, we often use it wrong. If we've got a foreboding sky on the horizon, we'll say that the, the sky looks apocalyptic. Or if there's looks like something is all sort of destroyed in a movie, we'll talk about that scene maybe looking apocalyptic. But what this is actually saying is this is the revelation of Jesus, the apocalypse of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen anything that comes from Jesus that's actually scary. To, it's to reveal, to disclose, to pull the curtain back, to reveal what was once hidden. That's what it actually means. And so the rest of the book isn't this blueprint of mysteries that we're supposed to sort of work through like some sort of strange code in order to figure out how the world's all going to come to an end. It's Jesus. It's Jesus telling us, I want to give you an insight into the principalities and powers of what's happening all around us in the world. And in fact, most of the verbs that get used in the book of Revelation are actually... Um, in past tense, and in some in present, and even fewer in the future. So it's sort of like this cosmic retelling. It's using your imagination. It's like moving into a different genre altogether of literature. And in the same way that poetry is different than prose, so apocalyptic literature just kind of talks differently. And as over 900 echoes or allusions or quotes or images drawn from the Old Testament to people who knew the story, so when they hear these numbers and they, hear, and they see these images that are all talked about in the book of Revelation, they're not coming out of nowhere. They're coming out of a story that they already know. And Jesus and the Spirit, as we hear in the first opening words, are working in concert together to deliver this. Jesus is back now on his home court in heaven, the slain lamb. And the spirit continues to do what we've seen him do throughout all of scripture, being this mover between heaven and earth 
and sometimes it's just simply the communicator and the messenger, and sometimes it's the delivery guy bringing different gifts and different fruit. And the Spirit just moves and dances and plays in that space between heaven and earth. And the book of Revelation just sort of takes a look into that space in between, into the Holy Spirit's playground. In the ways that angels and principalities and powers and forces and light and darkness all work. But it's no wonder that people have kind of been afraid of this book for so long. If the Holy Spirit's the person of the Trinity we probably know the least or have the most questions about, the book of Revelation is often one that kind of scares a lot of people. Martin Luther was not convinced that the, revela that the revelation of Jesus Christ should even be a book in the Bible. John Calvin wrote a commentary on every single book of the Bible except Revelation. I think there's a lot of us who have some fear and trepidation when we come to this. And yet, at the end of the day, this is my favorite book of the Bible. Because it speaks in imaginative ways of where we already are now, what we're waiting for in the future, and so much of what we've already been through. It's a creative and beautiful, imaginative retelling of the story that we've all heard. And if in any way we've ever kind of gotten dull or somewhat immune to it, it brings it all new again. To read the Christmas story about a baby being born to a woman and a dragon sweeping in, and it's the story of Jesus being retold in the book of Revelation through dragons and wild and vivid imagery. If we go to the next passage, this is from Revelation 1.10. So what I want you to see is that in, in each of the major sections in the book of Revelation, as they open up, there's a common refrain that happens within them. And it's this, on the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. In the Spirit, that's the refrain. Everything that John's experiencing is what God is revealing to him, which Jesus said was going to happen in the farewell discourse. I will show you what is yet to come. I will tell you these things. And he is. And the refrain opens the four major sections in the book of Revelation. He's showing John. He's showing us. He's revealing things. He's giving us eyes of faith to be able to see the reality around us beyond the dimensions that just we see. In many ways, the book of Revelation is like reading into the fourth or fifth dimension. It's not just, right, it's not just the three dimensions that we have and the fourth dimension of time. It's actually beyond that. You get to see through eyes of faith and not just through eyes of physicality, everything that's all going on in the cosmos, in the battles between light and darkness. And that same spirit that's given to John when he's in the spirit is an advantage that he has to see the world through different eyes. And you and I have the same spirit. It was promised by God to us. You and I have an advantage in the way that we look at every single event. Whether you're watching the news at night, a political race that's happening. You're looking at these things through the eyes of faith. You're looking with them with the advantage of insights of the God of heaven who's been there in the past, who's working now, who will finish everything in the future. And he's allowing us to see it differently. 
He's fixing our gaze on the things that are the most important so that we don't get distracted by all the different trappings of the world, but instead have our eyes fixed on what matters the absolute most, the treasures in the kingdom of God, everybody here who bears his image. And instead of having lives that chase after just simply material things, we care the most about how many people and the love of God being extended to all nations so that people can participate and share in the wedding supper of the Lamb. And that must be our driving ambition. And the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of that. He gives us an advantage to understand that life is all about something different than what the world is chasing after. He's also an advantage to us. He's an advocate for us because he refines our character. He's constantly pointing out to you and me, this is what you need to do to prepare next. This is how I want to make you more like Jesus. Oh, and by the way, you don't even have to do it. You just got to open yourself up to me and I want to come in and I'll do it for you. All the gifts and the fruit are the graces of God. Which one of those Christmas presents do you want to unwrap this year? And put to use in your life. The Holy Spirit brings pieces of heaven into earth. Your life is like the world's movie trailer of heaven. It's kind of what it's supposed to be. That when people see you, they're seeing glimpses of what the world could be when God's love finally refines and redeems and finishes all of it. You are the witnesses of heaven. The Holy Spirit coming from heaven, working out in your life to provide everybody else who ever comes in contact with you a mini-movie trailer of the possibilities of heaven. The other thing we see him doing in the book of Revelation is that he redeems our wrongs. And at the end of the day, heaven is made up of earth's broken but redeemed pieces. Even Jesus himself, when John sees him, is a slain lamb. He still bears the scars of what he bore for us. All the broken pieces in your own life are all part of the material being redeemed, renewed, restored. Your body, your imagination, your relationships. All of those are coming with us. They say you can't take it with you when you go. Or as my father-in-law says, nobody's getting out of this life alive. But there is one thing that we do. One thing that we do take with us, look around the room. All the money you'll make, all the accolades you'll get, it ain't coming with you. But this room is. This is the most valuable thing of all, and the Holy Spirit teaches us again and again to see others like that. And he opens up our eyes to see heaven's possibilities. In fact, throughout the book of Revelation, that's actually the command that happens more than any other, right? Pastor John has been exiled to the island of Patmos. He's writing a letter back to his parishioners, trying to encourage them in the face of persecution. And his command isn't duck and cover. His command isn't run for the hills. His command isn't fight back. The most powerful command that the Holy Spirit can offer 
through the words of Jesus to the church in the middle of difficult times is look. The most often repeated command in the book of Revelation, look, look again. You think that when you see this happening in the world, it's just this interacting with that, but what's really happening here at a much deeper level, and I will give you the eyes of faith. I'll give you the eyes of heaven to see where this is all going. So when Jesus described the Holy Spirit like an advocate, it wasn't just in the legal sense. The Holy Spirit is your greatest advantage in life. In our interactions and the stuff we do today and in our preparation for his coming again. The third motif I want to recognize in the book of Revelation is this one that comes in chapters 2 and 3. Every single one of the seven letters to the seven churches closes with this line, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I won't even go through all of them, but 2 verse 7, 2 verse 11, 2 verse 17, 2 verse 29, 3 verse 6, 3 verse 13, 3 verse 21. There's a theme here. Every one of those letters is all contextualized to the church, but this is the line that comes at the end of all of them. The Spirit is still speaking to the churches. He's still teaching. He's still rebuking. He's still encouraging. He's still refining. He's still preparing the way of the Lord. You thought Clark W. Griswold was obsessed with preparing for Christmas? He's got nothing on the Holy Spirit. This is what he's all about. He's preparing for the coming of Jesus. Again. And his lights always work. Finally, when the book closes, the fourth motif, we can go to that one. This is from Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Listen to what the Spirit is doing as the Bible closes. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. When we started in this story at the very beginning of the semester and we saw the Holy Spirit hovering over the chaos in creation... God starts through the work of the Spirit creating order out of things. And it's all going somewhere. It wasn't just organizing a pile of laundry that was all sort of stacked up in your room that just needed to get put away. And then it was done. Over the course of the entire biblical narrative, it's all heading somewhere. And what started as chaos and raw material ends in a perfect community. That's where the Bible is all headed. And all of its inhabitants haven't been enfolded in yet. That's why we're still here. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Because more people need to know that they're invited to participate in this. And every time we do surveys of the Dort community, and we ask people and we drop these little word clouds of, what do people say when they describe what they experience here? Right? The number one word that always comes back every single time is community. We think it's kind of a nice little buzzword, community. I want to be part of it. Who doesn't want to be part of a community? That sounds nice. But as I thought about this more and more, you know what a community actually is? Like when you're sitting with someone and having a healthy relationship, and if any of the fruit of the Spirit are manifested in those interactions with one another, when we're living in community, we're practicing heaven. 
That's what we're doing. We're practicing what it looks like to live inside a beautiful, healthy community. To know and to be known. And the reason why this is so important as a spiritual exercise is because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live together in perfect community. And when we replicate that with each other, we're offering the world a trailer of heaven itself and an experience of God. And it's why so much of the New Testament is so obsessed with how we interact with one another. Our goodness and our kindness. Our gentleness and our patience. Our long-suffering for one another. Our ability to forgive one another. All of that is a practice and the participation of the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you see the book of Revelation end, at the end where we're really going in all of this isn't so much a place. You are not going to a place so much as you are being enfolded into a relationship. We'll close with this. You ever wonder why in Revelation 21, one of the last things that John gets told to do in the book of the Bible is like, what, would, what should we do? We're to wrap this whole thing up. We're going to pull it all together. John, get a measuring stick. I need you to measure the new Jerusalem. What is that all about? Unless, of course, we have this whole Old Testament, New Testament story behind us, and by the time he measures it all out and realizes that the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to here is actually a cube. Which in Hebrew was the perfect geometrical shape because that's actually the shape of the Holy of Holies. The place where God dwelled. And so the Holy of Holies, the home of God himself, descending in. And the New Jerusalem is described as a Holy of Holies, an experience of God himself. You don't want to go to heaven when you die because it's a wonderful place. So you better get your stuff together now before Jesus surprises you one day. You want to cultivate and train a heart that longs for perfect relationship. And it gets practiced in the here and now and demonstrated to the rest of the world. That's what you're being enfolded into. That's what you're being invited into. That's why we live in community. That's why we ask Dort students to live on campus for four years, because we're practicing heaven. It matters. The way that we treat one another. When they're looking and when they're not. All of these things are the work of the Holy Spirit inside each of us to allow the world a better glimpse of how awesome it can be when a life is being transformed by the Spirit of God, the glory of Jesus, so we are better prepared to participate in that relationship perfectly in all eternity. And nobody ever gets bullied. And no more hatred exists. Nobody can ever hurt you ever again. To the best of our ability, and with the infusion of heaven's ability, that's what we're doing now. And that's why it matters so much. You can ask Jeremy to come on up and lead us in a little bit of, just a few minutes of response. Um, and yeah, ask him and Angela to come up and find their place. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we love you and the work of your spirit. We're often confused by it. We don't fully understand. 
But we know that there's nothing that comes from you that isn't good. And where you don't even have our interests in mind better than we do ourselves. And so, Lord, as we get ready for Christmas, will you ready our hearts and not just our shopping lists? Will you prepare us in our relationships and maybe give somebody the gift of forgiveness this year? Or reconciliation? Or just peace from a strained relationship? Allow us as we enter into this Advent season to give the world through our lives in some small way a glimpse of your eternity and your perfect relationship. Amen.